0: If you're just joining us, this is the second podcast in a series of installments and podcasts about the legal implications of using wearable and invasive computer brain interface technology in the workplace now and in the future. Last week, we interviewed neuroscientist Graham Moffat regarding the current state of such technology. This week, Graham discusses what this technology may look like years into the future. I'm Christina Jeremus, and this is Future Employer. What can the current technology measure? I mean, can that technology actually record a person's thoughts, ideas, emotional reactions, and intentions, or for example, whether someone is in pain? And if not, how far away do you think we are from getting there?
1: Yeah, there there are a lot of different um, aspects to human perception and cognition and human psychology that Some of which neurotechnology is better at measuring than others. So I think that, you know, that recording someone's ideas or, uh, extracting memories is sort of still a sci-fi concept, but measuring emotional responses, measuring the kinds of things where, you know, typically people tend to keep these kinds of, these kinds of reactions internally, and this is not necessarily an overt expression of, of someone's internal thoughts. The ability of this technology to extract covert feelings and covert thoughts, or at least, you know, recognition of, for example, pain is one that you brought up, is, is getting closer. So there's a tremendous amount of, I think, tort law around, uh, for example, pain and liability specifically for uh, workplace-induced injuries and pain and one of the biggest challenges that we face that the courts face that the legal system faces that the medical system faces is determining whether or not someone is in pain because it's a very subjective feeling if technology enables the medical profession to expose the internal sensations of a of a user of this technology then that radically changes uh, how the legal system will interpret this information and you know what what awards are given as a result and what the liability uh, law says uh, case law says about pain, and you know this is this is ah an open question, I think, that is it hasn't really been addressed extensively in uh, by the courts yet, but there are some people working on this, some legal academics working on this who are doing some interesting work.
0: So we know there are no guarantees, but let's pretend we remove the barriers the scientific community needs to overcome for this technology to really enhance the human brain. Where are some of the possibilities that this technology, the most advanced type of technology, could take us? Could a brain implant somehow merge with the brain to make a human brain akin to a supercomputer, such that you could Google something with your mind or speak a language without actually learning it in the traditional way?
1: yeah, so that gets um, you know just sort of the matrix idea of um, plugging your brain into the internet and being able to learn rapidly and being able to interact with technology much faster and more efficiently. I think it's absolutely within the realm of possibility that we could get there. we're We're still probably more than a decade, maybe a couple maybe a few decades away from from that, really at scale. You know we still have some understanding of the brain that is is to some extent lacking. I would say that, there's, a, there's still a lot that we need to understand about how the brain works, but the, um, the constraints on the development of this technology really have been in the, on the engineering side, and we're starting to see the, that become unblocked with the, the much more rapid allocation of resources into the neurotechnology sector. So th- this is where things get into um, a more speculative kind of uh, imagination of, of where the technology could go. Our brains are not static things. As we learn, as we interact with people... Uh, Our brains change and our personalities to a certain extent change. And this becomes a really important question is what does plugging our brain into technology to this extent change about the way that the brain itself works and that that our personalities work? And and there's been some recent work and there was a New Yorker article actually a couple weeks ago on how people with brain implants see their personalities change. So implanted brain stimulators, for example, for major depression or for Parkinson's disease can alleviate symptoms and make people's lives better. But at the same time, there's an enormous number of people with these implants. I think it's something north of 60% who changed their job within something like a year of getting a brain implant. So something about having this technology change their perspective on the world changes a whole host of things in their, in their life and their lifestyle and their desires to continue doing things the way that they did do uh, before they got the implant. So there are some really interesting questions about identity and personality that have yet to be answered about this.
0: What are some of the other measurable differences in capabilities or personality for individuals who might, in the future, choose to use this type of brain implant technology versus individuals who choose not to use this type of technology?
1: Yeah, so this is a very interesting question. If this technology finds its way, like so many other technologies, into work environments, does it give someone a competitive advantage relative to their peers? And does that drive adoption of the technology? This isn't a new question from the perspective of, of workplace applications of, say, for example, mind-altering pharmaceuticals. And I think we can extend to to a certain extent the uh, logic and, the, and the, the work that's been done there to brain technology. So we've seen the adoption, I think, of cognition enhancers. For example, medications that have traditionally been used to treat things like attention deficit disorder being used by students to improve their performance, and being used by workers to improve their workplace performance. And this is still very much a gray area. It's unclear to what extent the employer themselves should really concern themselves with what individual employees are doing of their own volition. And I think that will also be true of this technology, but we're already sort of grappling with that. What kinds of technologies, non-implanted technologies, non-neurotechnologies? Are people already using to give themselves an advantage in a workplace environment or in an educational environment to give themselves a leg up? So there's always going to be this kind of technology arms race to improve human performance and improve workplace performance. And I think that you know neurotechnology potentially has the possibility of accelerating that. You know, if if someone can add can add 10 or 20 equivalent of you know their IQ points through a technology, that's a pretty dramatic improvement. That's a the kind of thing that that compounds itself in terms of performance. So you could see pretty significant gaps between top performers and median performers that really drives a a radical shift in the organization of, of the workplace itself.
0: Talk to us a little bit about some of the concerns associated with this technology. If someone has a computer chip implanted into their brain, does this technology make an individual susceptible to brain hacking? What would that even look like? And would that be a real concern would we need antivirus brain software?
1: Yes, absolutely. Any computer system that is that is accessible for, through an external network is susceptible to that kind of hacking. And so, brain computer interfaces and implants are are no exception. You know, there it could very easily be the case that that someone's brain implant gets hacked. I know that, for example, pacemakers are considered a hackable attack surface in computer security and medical device security. And the FDA has has led the way on security of medical devices. And, you know, I think that there's generally a sort of a leadership from, from American regulators in this globally in, in security of these kinds of devices, but it's always going to be an arms race. The thing to really worry about is what we discussed a bit previously is the, the notion that not necessarily intentionally hacking someone's brain, but just the changing of someone's behavior or personality through the stimuli that you input to them through their their brains and we don't even really have to go as far as neurotechnology to address this you can see what's happened to people who uh, become addicted to social media or interacting with their mobile devices and often we'll find you'll find that you know people become in extreme cases radicalized politically uh, and their whole personalities change many uh, many of the listeners of the podcast i'm sure can imagine or can relate to this to the extent that this has happened politically through social media in the United States and around the world where access to technology and what's being fed to us through technology radically changes the perspectives of some people and to a certain extent even changes their personalities. So it's really a question of informational inputs and how those informational inputs access the brain. Direct access to the brain has the potential to really exacerbate that and to potentially infringe the autonomy of the individual to an even greater extent than, than some of the technologies that we face now.
0: Going back to something you said earlier about this technology potentially being used in the same ways that certain pharmaceutical drugs are currently used to enhance performance, to increase IQ, or to increase intention. I can see how this would be quite attractive. So when would you realistically estimate that this type of technology would become mainstream? accessible to the general public
1: in terms of uh, wearable technologies that could potentially improve people's performance i think we're starting to see this development already um, underway even things that are not necessarily in market yet but will be soon for example facebook's development of uh, brain computer interface technologies and their acquisition of a company called control labs Mm -hmm. which allows the the virtualization of the hand so they can create They can create a virtual hand in in VR and allow people to control robotic interfaces and machine interfaces much more finely than, than ever before. You can imagine this allowing people to do very fine motor and mechanical tasks from a great distance, which will enable people to do much more complex things with robots in environments like mining that are high risk from a remote distance, but also will potentially allow the development of more remote work in more complex and traditionally manual tasks or physical labor tasks. So you could see an acceleration of robotic and remote work far beyond what we had anticipated to this point. Instead of just being, uh, you know, remote work being a white collar thing, it could potentially even be a blue collar thing. And this this technology is is currently uh, in advanced development and we could see it deployed within a few years, I think. So we're starting to see the incorporation of neurotechnology into early stage virtual reality headsets and into virtual reality interfaces. And I think that we'll, we'll continue to see that accelerate. So we're talking years really to widespread deployment, not decades.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If in the next 20 years, people are able to achieve superhuman cognition via computer brain implants, what happens when, for religious, social, or medical reasons, someone opts out of this technology? How do people compete with someone whose brain is merged with a computer for the purposes of securing a job or a promotion? In our third and fourth podcast installments, Cyfarth Shaw attorneys Christina Medin and Krista Groff will talk with us about how federal statutes such as the Americans with Disabilities Act and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 may regulate this arena.